G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as the principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. Our series is entitled, The Son of God, Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 2. We are in Chapter 12 of this verse-by-verse commentary of the magnificent Gospel of John. Remember, the purpose of this Gospel is described in Chapter 20, Verse 31, that the things that are written are so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you may have life in his name, a fruitful life, abundant life, a blessed life, everlasting life. And it's just the list goes on. So believing in Jesus connects you with the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the salvation of God, and the kingdom of God, which has no end. We're looking at the story of the triumphal entry, where Jesus is publicly received by people in Jerusalem. Now, they may not all necessarily have been from Jerusalem, because at that time, crowds were coming from all over the country, indeed, all over the diaspora, to celebrate the Passover of the Lord in Jerusalem. And people had come even early before the Passover so they could prepare themselves for this amazing biblical feast. But in the triumphal entry, we're going to see that it not only helps to identify Jesus for who he is, but paradoxically, it also sets up the stage for his betrayal, arrest, trial, condemnation, and execution. Amazing, as we're about to learn. So with all this, let's read a little section here. It's called, this lesson, The Triumphal Entry, based on John chapter 12, verses 12 to 22. That's John 12, 12 to 22. And it says this, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Remember the background here, which is, of course, very crucial Jesus had many who believed in him and many who wanted to follow him. However, especially in Jerusalem, he had incurred the 
displeasure, in fact, let's call it for what it is, the hatred of the religious establishment elite, Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests. And they had already basically made a decision that they would arrest him and get rid of him, in fact, kill him, some legal loophole somewhere, so that he would no longer threaten their interests or bruise their wounded egos. So this, of course, means that Jesus, most of the time, had to be very discreet if he came into Jerusalem or even the province of Judea. But here, he's coming very publicly, not just for the elite to see, not just for the common people to see, but for the whole world to see. And indeed, even until now, this story of the triumphal entry is, in a sense, Jesus' debut to his people of his true identity. And while there's been an amazing, lengthy, two-millennia hiatus of that which this triumphal entry has announced, we are closer to its fulfillment than ever before. So what we're going to learn in this is that the people gather, they are adoring crowds, but Jesus doesn't enter in Jerusalem on a wonderful stallion, but on a young donkey, perhaps who has never been written before. He is, by doing so, fulfilling prophecy, especially Zechariah 9.9. And there'll be witnesses, the crowds will gather, the Pharisees will be livid, and then the Greeks will come to the feast. We want to now read the entire portion of the triumphal entry, Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 12 to 22. Again, Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 12 to 22. This is the word of God. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. We'll end it right there. Our reading is from John chapter 12, verses 12 to 22. And our lesson is called, The Triumphal Entry. Well, friends, let's begin now. The people have gathered together in verse 12, the first verse of our lesson. There was a great multitude that had already come to Jerusalem 
to prepare for the Passover. They apparently were excited when they heard that Jesus was coming too, because after all, they had heard many things about him, and the miracle of the raising of Lazarus sealed the deal. As far as they're concerned, this guy is what they have been waiting for, who they've been waiting for, and when and where? In the city of Jerusalem, city of the great king. So we have what is called the adoring crowds. John twelve thirteen. The multitude took palm branches and went out to meet Jesus. Now we understand that palm branches, which are, there are plenty of in the Holy Land, were used as a symbol of Jewish nationalism since the time of the Maccabees two centuries before. Remember, the Maccabees are not, of course, written in the canon of Scripture because uh, the Old Testament ended in around 400 B.C., and the New Testament begins around the dawn of the first century A.D. The Maccabees happened in the second century B.C., but they were Jewish nationalists that managed to cleanse the temple and rid themselves of the hated rule of the Seleucid Syrians, so they became what is known as the Hasmonean dynasty. It is thought that they are the ones that use the palm branches to talk about their national symbol. So then they made this adoring crowd on the Mount of Olives an enormous proclamation. Hosanna. Some pronounce it Hoshana. This means save now or save us, we pray. Then they cried, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now, these comments would have infuriated the religious elite because despite their protests and scheming, they could not stop people from coming to Jesus and believing in his name. Now these same people are not only calling him the son of David, they're calling him the king of Israel, which basically, by calling Jesus the king of Israel on Palm Sunday, when he was entering Jerusalem very publicly, very victoriously, was tantamount to saying, this guy is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of David, which, of course, he was the Messiah, and guess what? He still is. Nothing has changed. As they would soon discover, even murdering the man from Galilee could not stop this growing Jesus movement. What is not so clear is that by welcoming Jesus as King Messiah, where they expected a spiritual savior to bring an earthly conquest, ridding them of the hated Roman rule, but instead what they would get that the Roman occupation would not end straight away, and the visible messianic kingdom of which Messiah is to rule from would be delayed, at least according to their earthly life style and lifetime. In other words, they were probably more looking for an earthly liberating Messiah than one who is going to save the soul and prepare them for an eternal kingdom. As we learn in John twelve fourteen, the young donkey. Jesus decided to enter Jerusalem by riding on a young donkey. So young, in fact, that it's unlikely that anyone ever rode on him before Jesus did. He was, Jesus, that is, at Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. 
but not yet in the city of Jerusalem. It was near, but it wasn't here. Normally, a king would ride on a stately horse. Here Jesus instead chooses a humble, innocent animal with a peaceful nature, namely a donkey's colt. In other words, the the beast with whom the Lord rode on had the similar nature of the Lord himself, peaceful, humble, and the like. But you know what? When Jesus comes into your life, we are like the donkey. We become young, we become innocent, we become cleansed from sin and the like. And really, the important thing is not so much the donkey, but who is riding on the donkey. And so let's keep our eyes not on the vessel, but on what is in the vessel. So Jesus is fulfilling prophecy according to John 12, verse 15. In fact, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. This prophecy tells the daughters of Zion not to be afraid. Why? Because the king is coming. And when the king comes, the fears go. The king is coming and he's riding on a donkey's colt. Just think of it, friends. Zechariah accurately and in detail predicted the triumphal coming of Jesus approximately 500 years before it actually came to pass. And Matthew affirms that this is the case. So then we have chapter 12, verse 16, no understanding. The disciples of Jesus who had been with him all this time just did not understand what was going on. But after Jesus was glorified, then they remembered all that was written of him and they had done to him. Now, to say that Jesus was glorified is to basically say when Jesus, after being viciously and horrifically crucified, buried and the tomb sealed, three days later, he emerged from the tomb very much alive. That's when Jesus was glorified, when he rose from the dead. Being born again greatly assists in understanding the spiritual realm and all that it's involved, as well as the meaning of Scripture and how understanding and applying the meaning of God's Word can be transformational. But then we get to verse 17 of John 12, the witnesses. Jesus' rapturous welcome into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday was greatly aided by those people who had witnessed the raising of Lazarus from the tomb. They bore witness to him, and to his actions, and nobody could tell them otherwise. Not only did they see it with their eyes that this dead man rose again, but their friends had seen it too. I mean, it was conclusive. The miracle had happened, and that's why Jesus was received so well. The credible mass testimony of Lazarus' raising caused those who were not present at the miracle to come and see Jesus for themselves. Making such a grand public entry into Jerusalem helped cause more people to see and believe in the Lord. And of course, this would make his enemies all the more determined to destroy him. And then, an interesting comment in John twelve nineteen: The Pharisees were livid. 
they spoke among themselves that they were failing in their mission to stop and destroy Jesus. With typical hyperbole, they declared, Behold, the world is gone after him. This made them anxious, desperate, and deadly. Then we have something else, rather interesting situation, just a slight diversion. Greeks coming to the feast. This is John 12, verse 20. During that same time, some Greeks, meaning Gentiles, had come up to the feast to worship the God of Israel in the time of Passover. Of interest is that there were some allowances made for non-Jews to observe and, if possible, to participate in the rituals at the Jewish temple, which we also know as Herod's temple, built by Herod the Great even before Jesus was born. However, being a Gentile did have its limitations when coming into Herod's temple. They could only go so far into the sacred precincts. In fact, we know of a signage that was put at the, as it said, the, the, the court of the Israelite women, and it said that any Greek, any Gentile, who proceeded beyond this point, would be responsible for their own death, which would inevitably follow. So they knew their place. They could come in, they would be welcome to a point, but then came the border or the fencing that only Israelites could go closer. But you know what? The limitations even applied to Jewish people because the women that were Israelites could go a little further than the Greeks, but then they had to stop. And then the Israelite men could go even further still within the sacred precincts, but they had to stop because only the high priest was allowed to go all the way to the end of the temple in what is called the Holy of Holies. And then it only happened once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, for a few hours. So the amazing thing is when Christ died and rose again, we have total access every one of us who believes, to the throne of grace. But anyway, the Greeks that came in the time of Jesus to the temple were a down payment of a greater multitude of non-Jews coming in the future, worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, according to Isaiah 2, verses 2 to 3. And an appointment was requested. In John twelve twenty one. the Greeks came to Philip from Bethsaida of Galilee, and requested an appointment, saying, Sir, we want to see Jesus. This caused a chain reaction. In the last verse, John twelve twenty two, Philip told Andrew, and both of them went to see Jesus. As they will discover, he does not directly address the Greek's request. The time for appointments was not yet, because he had a greater appointment to keep in a few days' time at a place called Golgotha. Once the mission was accomplished, he would be available for appointments with Jew and Greek, now and forever. Now our lesson is called the triumphal entry. And our lesson for life is this. Jesus fulfills prophecy because he is the centerpiece of it all.
for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.